0: And welcome back everyone to yet another edition of going for two presented by our friends at home field apparel. I am your host the publisher of the extra points newsletter, Matt Brown. I'm joined by my colleague and friend Brian Fisher. Brian, you just told me something very interesting right
1: before you hit the record button. This is our is this our 99th episode. That is what the uh, the old podcast software says. This is number 99. So uh, we're, we're hitting triple digits. We can go into syndication now uh, next week. And not like we're going to get the uh, the big bonus check that uh, a TV show would get for hitting that, that uh, marquee number. But yeah, 100 episodes, which is accomplishing quite a bit uh, in the podcast world.
0: And that puts us in pretty rarefied air in the podcast world, especially for an extremely niche newsletter. So we'll, maybe we'll have to do something fun here for next week. Uh, and, and you you might forgive us for having not planned that in advance, like six months from now, because, you know, planning
1: has been thrown out the window, right? Yeah. I I think the, the, the events of the last, uh, about a week and a half, I I think has certainly, uh, pushed all that aside. So any planning that we would have had has probably been, been, would have been long, uh, long past due anyway.
0: Completely. I want to talk about some of the realignment related developments over the last, I don't know, 48, 72 hours. We are recording this one, uh, this episode here on Tuesday, the 5th in the afternoon. But before we do, there was something I wanted to talk to you about. I really haven't even had a chance to do this yet because of, of you know, the world. Tell me about Necta. So for for those that don't know, because our, our audience for Going for Two is kind of 50-50. NACTA is a gigantic conference. It was in Las Vegas for athletic directors and senior athletic officials and everybody in the world that wants to sell stuff to those people. Um, and it's, it is a great time to go, you know, not just to, you know, to actually go to clinics and classes and share best practices and everything. But like any other convention, you grab people at the hotel bar in the lobby and you can have a chance to more informally discuss things. This entire event was before usc and ucla announced the move or the news broke i want to say that was like the day or two after you came back i missed it because i was um ceremonially unclean to travel because i was still testing positive for the coronavirus brian tell, tell, me, tell me tell me about the trip what did, what did you learn who did you talk to what was what was going on there
1: well, it was a tremendous fun to be back in person with, with everybody in Las Vegas. I, I think for, for folks, you know, everybody in whatever industry you might be in, you tend to have that kind of yearly conference where everybody can get together. This is, this is college athletics kind of go-to. And and certainly there are other places where, you know, the NCAA convention, um, conference media days, whatnot, spring meetings in Arizona that we went to a, uh, a while back. But like NACTA is, is really kind of the one place, you know, that, that everybody does gather and it's, it's not just athletic directors, as you mentioned, a lot of senior administrators a lot of people just kind of coming up in the industry. This is kind of like the the coaches convention in, in that respect, where you can network, you can learn from sessions. I mean, this is where the, the, the compliance world kind of comes together and discusses best practices and understands what's going on in the industry. What what are the changes going on? I mean, I think that's yeah. that was generally the topic du jour of of everything that uh, really every conversation prior to USC and UCLA leaving at NACTA was all about nil. Uh, Division one transformation. And and really, there were, there were a ton of D2, D3 folks and AIA folks were, were there. So it's not just about uh, kind of the, the highest levels of, of FBS football or anything like that. It really was the entire NCAA college athletics ecosystem coming in into one place and a lot of tremendous conversations uh, that we will have on, on Collegiate Sports Connect. If you're not already, already a user, please go ahead and sign up. But we had, uh, I, I counted the other day, 99 interviews with ADs, uh, CEOs, people uh, throughout the industry. I mean, it was a a tremendous event, huge success on on our our end, I think, from uh, speaking from the D1 Ticker folks and Included Sports Connect, but tremendous to just be in person and and have some of those industry conversations, some of which were rendered moot about 24 hours later.
0: (laughs) I, I am still trying to work my way through watching a lot of those interviews. And I imagine it's going to take me a couple of weeks just because there were so many of them. And I'm trying to kind of pull out a couple of things. I know that uh, there was the interview with Chicago State's interim athletic director, talked a little bit about what they're looking for for a new conference and some of the strategic changes that are happening there. For individuals that are not likely to watch all 99 of these, were there any of these conversations that you found were – especially insightful or something where you're like, wow, I I really didn't know that. I know that you had a conversation with, uh, you know, somebody that our video game enthusiast friends might be interested to know that you talked to.
1: Yeah, the uh, CLC CEO, Corey, uh, you know, and, and it was fascinating because it was not just, uh, you know, the CLC CEO, we, we've talked with uh, Pacchiolan's CEO, who, who runs basically every ticketing operation, you know, across athletics. If you have a, a mobile app to scan into a football game or a basketball game, Pacchiolan's generally uh, got to uh, deal with your school or, or at least uh, one of your rival schools that uh, you have to wor- work with them. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're discussing with a lot of ADs. We had Julie Cromer from, from the Division One Transformation Committee, had about a half hour uh, conversation with her just about the entire process, what's What's next? Uh, your discussions about enforcement, and and I tell you what, it was also great to to meet a lot of people, not only up on stage, but just kind of walking around the convention that said they were uh, listeners of, of going for two. We interviewed a couple of them. We we talked to them about it before and after. But uh, it is great to talk with everybody. And, and I think uh, again, I think the the common theme throughout NACTA was always nil. Uh, from whether you're talking about a compliance administrator, whether you're yeah. talking about an AD, I, I mean that really was top of mind for for really everybody. I mean it was just. How can we best position our program? How can we best, How do we work with coaches about learning the latest rules? What's coming down the pipeline in terms of transformation that might impact NIL? What, what are companies looking at in terms of how they approach this space, how they're working with schools, how they're working with brands and, and marketers across the country? So I think there was a lot of conversation centered around that. And I, I think truly, if, if you're talking about when our, some of our discussions at that D1 AAA level um, and, and even kind of those smaller schools at the FBS level – A lot of it, there was some concern about championship access. I I heard that quite a bit in Las Vegas. I think that is top of mind for everybody. There's some vague things kind of thrown out there. We did discuss it with, with Julie Cromer. I'm, I'm just not getting the sense that everybody's kind of happy at uh, the the lack of information over what that might look like. Uh, that is certainly a big topic for discussion over the next couple of months heading into that convention uh, in, in January down in San Antonio when the NCAA really meets and, and decides on a lot of this stuff. But that was, that was top of mind for, I think a lot of folks, if it wasn't an NIL related discussion it was definitely how can we make sure that our teams are getting access to that that NCAA tournament how that they're getting access to NCAA golf or NCAA that the college world yeah. series or something like that so that i think is is prominent on the minds of a lot of folks that are really not necessarily dealing in those uh, nine figure NIL deals
0: i think that i mean that would match honestly with some of the conversations that we were having at the last kind of convention that we went to and and you know we'll have to we'll have to follow up more with the specifics this idea of does championship access mean guaranteed play-in access? Does it mean that there's some rounds before the big championship? And that – from my own kind of one-triple-a conversations, you know, I, having not been enacted but just kind of generally, there was, there's was there been more concern over that than there is about money. Because I'm like, right, there's this kind of assumption that whatever the committee's final recommendations are next January – it's going to result in more money for power leagues um, or, or, or more established brands. What that looks like for championships, bigger question. Is there is there a world where uh, the, for college baseball that if you win the NEC, you play a, a three-game series with like the Mac before you move on to the, the regionals or something rather than immediately getting to pitch against Florida? I don't know. Maybe. Like, those, it seems like those are the kind of open questions that are happening right now.
1: Yeah, and we discussed that uh, a lot of that with the NCA CFO, who's uh, retiring uh, later this year, uh, Kathleen McNeely. I mean, she was uh, you know very informative in terms of just kind of what's going on uh, across the association, just going through the budgeting process. You know, like looking at this this year in particular, this is the kind of the first full cycle they've had in terms of the after the gender equality reports going through the, the entire NCAA tournament runs uh, on the men and women's basketball side, and and how that whole process worked because they changed a lot of the kind of budgeting principles around that and. Maybe there are some takeaways. I, I think they are, uh, for, for my conversations, not just at, at NACTA, but kind of across the industry, bringing some of those principles to... Other sports, you know, other championships uh, is certainly on the table. I think the revenue distribution plan is going to change significantly for, for a lot of schools out there. So yeah. there, there's just a whole lot of discussion points, and, and even travel. I mean, uh, getting it, w- it was funny. I mean, like everybody, it seemed like a lot of people there at NAC that did have some sort of travel issue. If you've gotten been in an airport recently, you understand that completely right now. Oh my but, gosh! Uh, yeah. and 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 it is just wild and. Baking into the, that cost. I mean, you're, you're talking about not only inflationary increases in things like concessions and labor and all those other kind of minor things that ADs and, and CFOs of, of schools have to kind of consider, but uh, it, it's an industry-wide topic as well, on top of everything else that is that is going on.
0: It's, it's funny you mentioned travel because that is something I am really trying to wrap my arms around right now. So uh, on Tuesday, wait, no, today's Tuesday. On Wednesday, on Extra Points, if you're not a paying subscriber, but it, uh, there is a, we're publishing a story uh, talking about a, a paper uh, that was published with a, a, through a couple of academics in uh, late December that interviewed a lot of athletes who play football and who play hockey in, in major conferences and do a lot of national cross-country travel about what that experience means from the athlete's perspective. And, it was actually more mixed than I had expected. It definitely wasn't uniformly negative because a lot of people are happy to tell you, "Listen, those long flights, those hotel trips, those nights, those nights out, not only just to give me a chance to see the country, which a lot of athletes have not done before they get to college. A lot of people don't leave their state, other than to go on vacation once or twice. Um, but also, this is where team culture is built." This is why a lot of basketball teams go to Europe, you know, every every couple of years to put people in uncomfortable situations and make them spend a ton of time with each other. And you end up as friends or you become blood enemies. And sometimes that that tears down cultures, too. But, but you know, that's 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 all part of the travel. But the logistical side is significant. And this was you know before travel became, I think, much more airline travel became much more difficult. But most people don't charter for their flights, even and like in the Big Ten, even in the SEC, even in big schools. The football teams do. The volleyball team doesn't always right now, which means that a lot of people are getting stuck in O'Hare, they're getting stuck in Atlanta, or they're riding buses, and increasingly it's hard to get bus drivers. Um, you know, I, I, I
1: heard that more than once at the, at the convention. You're know, like, it is difficult to find bus drivers. Like you, you, you would not put that on kind of the top of your mind yeah. if you're just kind of thinking about college athletics travel. But I, I definitely heard that uh, quite a few times there at NAC, though.
0: Hard to get bus drivers. Also, sometimes hard to get rental cars. So I have heard two things, and I can't, I won't share the school because I don't want to get anybody in trouble. They're two different schools. This was um, within the last year. I've heard of one football coaches unable to secure rental cars after traveling. Um, have went out into like Home Depot and rented pickup trucks um, or moving vehicles in order to actually like go to high schools and and make visits. And then you kind of brush it off as this is just our blue collar mentality. This was not Texas. This was not a school with Texas money. But like this is a thing in the recruiting world. If you are not flying into a gigantic metro area, I have also heard that it is uh, more common than you think for somebody who is not CDL certified. It's like an assistant coach or a dobo, sometimes even an athlete, driving the van or the bus, uh, particularly to get from the airport to the hotel because they can't get anybody right there. Terrible for insurance reasons, terrible for a bunch of other reasons. But if you got to get to Greeley, Colorado, uh, sometimes you have to do things and you don't tell your compliance officer about them. That's part of what travel is about. If you are listening to this and like, yeah, this is my world, I'd love to tell you about some of these things. My email is matt at extrapointsmb.com. This is something I'm going to be picking at, I think, for the next several weeks because conference realignment, not just with the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, I think makes this a much more significant issue.
1: Absolutely. I mean, uh, Kathleen McNeely, the, the NCAA CFO, she said uh, NCAA is kind of budgeting travel costs to go up 30% uh, compared to last year. So that just kind of gives you a kind of perspective. And, and that's just, just the national office when you're talking about championship yep. travel and moving teams all around. I mean, it is pretty pretty crazy the amount of, of, of booking they have to do in, in such a short span. And, um, and maybe we'll, we'll have more on that uh, at, a, at a later date. But um, that that's a cost that. Not necessarily is getting passed along to schools, but schools are feeling it even more so because they have to plan just, you know, your general conference travel. And, um, you you know, I think given the the UCLA and and USC news in particular, I think travel is, is top of mind for a lot of those Olympic sports right now in terms of figuring things out. But uh, we, we, we could see some, uh, some schools get creative, I, I think. I, I, we, we joked off air kind of before this about uh, schools buying planes and whatnot. Well, you know what? That, that actually sounds pretty good right about yeah. now when you're talking about just the cost savings you could get over a long-term period, even though it might be uh, a, l- a little bit expensive on, on the balance sheet to uh, purchase a, a used uh, Fokker jet or something like that uh, or an Embryer. Like you know, At the end of the day, it might end up paying, paying it for itself when, when you talk about some of these increased travel costs.
0: I joke a lot on Twitter. If you fall, I have the misfortune of following me on Twitter. You should know that I do not take that that format particularly seriously, and I'm making jokes all the time. I'm not joking about buying a jet, they, and, and not not just because suddenly you're you're pulling in. Between revenue, media distributions and ticket sales, all these other places are looking at $200 million plus potentially for your entire athletic department. But these are also people that, that have alums in the entertainment world and in the corporate finance world and in the, um, the business world that could potentially cut you a deal on, on something like this. And if you suddenly have to charter, I mean, 28 sports teams, that's a, a thing to consider. Um, and it, sure, it, it's a it's a big cost, but a lot of universities have planes. Um. Including
1: your your alma mater uh, at Ohio State. I I uh, would imagine Ohio State
0: has more than one plane. Actually,
1: I believe they have uh, two or three planes. Uh, But those are, you know, kind of the the smaller jets, you know, kind of more the the business uh, travel jets. But, I I mean, it's fine. I mean, you go back a couple of years, I think even maybe it might have been last year, but the New England Patriots, they they bought two, uh, I believe, 767s off the user market. Just because, really, when you're thinking about the, the, the charter travel. At the university level, you're behind NBA teams, you're behind NFL teams. And when it can can kind of get that crunch, you might be, you know, having to wait on a jet to fly in, to to pick you up. And so when you're talking about some missing class and and some of the academic components uh, with that travel cost, if you can afford it, you know what, when it works much better for your schedule, uh, we we could start to see some some creative solutions again from from some of these universities and some of these athletic departments about kind of figuring out that travel travel picture not in terms of time savings but also cost savings.
0: You can always sublet the jet, which is I think what the Patriots have done too. When you buy it and you you basically Airbnb it to uh, to other people. Uh, take it for me, somebody who repeatedly flies on Spirit Airlines. I know all <laughs> about the world of of jets. Mr. I got a C plus from Ohio State and, you know, was a blogger for 10 years. Yes, yeah, is definitely my world. Um, before we talk a little bit more about realignment, I, I did want to go back, just double back to something which I know is relevant to our audience. What did you learn from uh, conversations with CLC or some of the other folks in licensing about any of these kind of sponsored products? I, I, I don't want to overstate this. I've said this on the air. I said this to the Washington Post. There's no level of minutia that's too minute for people that care about this world what 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 did you guys talk about what what kind of what takeaways did you have
1: yeah, it was, I mean, it was a great uh, conversation with uh, Corey Moss, who's, who's been at CLC for a couple of decades. I, I think he's been there for, for quite a while and just kind of going through that that process of, of working with schools, working with schools. And, and you wrote this kind of a bit in your newsletter well, that are not CLC partners. Um, you know, they're, they're still dealing with them, trying to get audio assets and and get stadium renderings. And it, it, it's a lot of work. They are certainly hopeful that they will hit that uh, 2023 deadline of uh, kind of next summer to get, to get the game out. But um, a, a lot of it is just kind of, you know, usual work that they have to do as part of their clients. Um, you know, you've written extensively on I, I don't think he's he, he broke any news necessarily. I think the, the interesting thing that I took away from that is that, yes, you know, I, I think they, they are saying, you know, once this kind of model gets proven out, maybe it's, it's a little bit easier to do a. College basketball game, college baseball game. You know, there, there's obviously a lot of focus on women's basketball right now. Maybe there's, uh, you know, women's basketball video game that uh, could could become a, a part of this ecosystem as they just kind of build out those assets and, and keep things going. And uh, I think it's, it's going to be interesting, too look at the uh, licensing component, how they've worked with uh, the the Brander Group and, and doing more group, group licensing components. Um, you know, everybody's been very insistent on, on this being an opt-in for a lot of the athletes. And so yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very curious. He, he didn't really, he kind of dodged the question of just a little bit about, all right, if you're a high-profile quarterback and, and you do want to kind of hold back a little bit uh, and try to get a better, better deal, what, what's that going to look like? I don't think anybody quite knows, but uh they, they, they all seem pretty confident about uh, you know sewing up some of those loose ends by the time you know we, we kind of get into that production phase in, in 2023. But uh, a lot of work still to be done. It's it, he you know it's it's very rewarding for a lot of the folks that, that are at CLC that are working on the product, but uh it, it is it, it, it's it's not just uh flipping madding Madden around and, and reskinning the game. Like that there is some true legwork that is I mean, being, being put into place uh, both on CLC's part, from the school's part, and from EA Sports' part.
0: I would hope, if anybody has read my coverage of the of the EA Sports and you get one takeaway, it should be, this is not a Madden reskin. Um, I, can I promise you that the game will be good? No. I'd love to. They haven't given me a copy of the game yet because they're not done making it, so I can't promise that it will be good. I can't promise a particular gameplay feature, but I can tell you, knowing what I know about the development schedule— and what I've known about how people are, are, are submitting very spe- extremely specific assets, that it, it's, it really is being built from the ground up. It's not the same kind of thing. Um, I've called like seven other schools today asking about this exact thing. Um, I will update our original post on extra points about audio and visual assets as I get more <laughs> of those. Um, I have called every private school in FBS right now. Uh, the challenge is that often athletic directors don't have any idea what I'm talking about. It's usually somebody in external relations. I've been tracking down that person and the comp staff while they're waiting for the FOIA to come through. Um, it, could, it, it, could, it could be a minute. Plus, a lot of these schools are a teensy bit busy right now with maybe some other structural problems. I want to talk about those well, structural you, issues.
1: It, you mentioned structural yeah. problems. I mean, I think that was another. Yeah. I mean, it is part of our kind of kind of connect product is, is, is obviously hiring and connecting folks that, that do have openings and. Uh, facilitating that a little bit and and that was a, a big pain point from a lot of ads around there a lot of uh, you know senior administrators you know they, they're in the market for for hiring folks and and it's a difficult market if, if anybody understands uh, some of the labor economics on on, on Going on across the country right now, it is particularly highlighted in athletics. You know, people are needing four or five more SIDs. Um, you know, to, to re beef, you know, kind of beef up their their sports information department. They're they're needing more uh, fundraisers. You know, they're they're needing more people just to to do ops and do facilities. And I mean, I, I can't tell you how many ads. Kind of, were, we're discussing. You know, just the the difficulty in finding trainers, which you wouldn't. You would think. You know, a lot of these universities are connected to their um, you know school health systems or or something like that. And uh, you know, just the difficulty and the amount of turnover that they go through at, at 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 a position like that is is uh, pretty remarkable uh, just kind of hearing them uh, you know kind of understanding and, and trying to convey um uh, you know how difficult it is to, to find some of those those places that are really key for their athletic departments their teams to keep humming along and so i think that that's another thing that a lot of ad's were uh, I, I wouldn't say griping about but uh, making sure that it is uh, understandable that in addition to all the big topics about nil and and, and one transformation, you know, there's some some real tangible issues that uh, college athletics is facing on things like hiring people, which is true for almost
0: every industry. Like a lot of places are facing labor shortages, right? Like, I don't know how it is where you are here in Chicago. Like, our pools just opened today rather than at, you know, a, a month and a half ago because there aren't enough lifeguards. Trains don't run as often as they used to because there aren't enough train operators or not enough bus drivers. And so to, to be, it would make sense that, hey, there's we're having trouble finding enough .dotnet uh, developers or 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 fundraisers or people that can work scoreboards, especially because, you know, not to not to completely blow up our, our our corporate overlords here, but a lot of these jobs don't pay very much money, and they're really really hard jobs, and that's why we've also written a lot about burnout. You know, it might be harder to find dobos because people are realizing. Going to graduate school, making sixteen thousand dollars a year while working this gig- really stressful, complicated job sucks. Uh, or or you working in college athletic operations for six years and still making forty two thousand and having to 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 take care of the paints for the soccer field is a lousy gig, uh, or at least a lousier gig than it was before. Um, fixing a lot of these things is it, it takes money. It's not just money. It's how we manage how we recruit what kind of culture you're building like with other jobs but not an easy fix
1: uh, I mean even at the lower levels you know the kind of D2D3 level they're almost better prepared to basic uh, a labor shortage like this cuz they're they're doing so much more and I but the this. burnout aspect I think is is the different thing right now like everybody's is, is hyper aware of, of making sure that you are taking care of, of your own people, making sure that they are happy, making sure that they, they do have time off. They, they can go uh, be hang out with their families. They can take a, a bit of a vacation with, without necessarily worrying about work. I think that's especially coming out of the pandemic where, where things are not only opening up uh, a lot more, but uh, you you just have been basically working nonstop for the past two years um, and under hard, tough conditions just to get your teams to play. And, um, you know, making sure that uh, your, your own folks are, are taking care, care of themselves is, is uh, top of mind for, for a lot of ADs out there and uh, frankly, for, for a lot of administrators, because they're, they're seeing people um, understandably shuffle off to the private sector, knowing you can have a, a bit more of a nine to five and uh, not deal with the stress that comes up with uh, playing in, in college athletics. You
0: know, one way, one thing a boss could do, whether you work in college sports or quite frankly, in any industry, as a gesture to show the other people on your team how much that they are, how much you care about them, how important they are to your organization's success. Buy them some stuff from Home Field Apparel. Our friends, our title sponsors, who make extremely comfortable, officially licensed collegiate apparel with unique vintage logos and designs. Like with most shows, I am wearing something Home Field right now. I'm wearing Boise State. That's another Bronco. First down. Um, yeah, we got we got some other. Home- I missed what you what you were. What Butler Bulldog.
1: Gotta gotta got go with the uh, the old Butler Bulldog. It's a good dog.
0: Very good dog. Can skateboard. Um... They dropped some absolute heaters. I have spent a lot of my internet career, particularly in the extra points era, making fun of Nebraska. It's not personal. Lincoln is, I think, an absolutely lovely town. They are my Midwestern cousins. Um, There's a a lot that's very admirable about Nebraska. Truly, Nebraska women's volleyball was one of the greatest, I I think, in in arena live experiences that I've had as a sports writer. Um, I have also made the Scott Frost day joke Roughly 400,000 times, and I don't intend to stop. I will be buying some Nebraska stuff, which it's going to take a little minute to get here because, you know, they're field swamped right now. But that collection was outstanding. I'm going to get the bug eater shirt because Nebraska used to be called the bug eaters. Uh, which is way better than Cornhuskers, even though Cornhuskers is very good. Uh, I, I think a truly unique and excellent old collection. They are announcing Oklahoma this week. Uh, normally when Oklahoma fans get noon releases, uh, they launch conference realignment in motion and, and, and ultimately devastated the entire like ecosystem of this sport. This seems to be a noon release they're going to be okay with. Um, I think we are heading towards the end of this big new Saturday season. Um, I don't want to tell you what school will be at the end of that season because I might jeopardize our licensing agreement. I will just say that while you should continue to spend lots of money supporting TCU and Nebraska and Oklahoma, you should also save some money for the end because the last school is going to be a humdinger. You can save some of that money by using our special promo code, Extra Points, which will knock out 15% off your first order at checkout. And you can also send me a note at matt at extrapointsmb.com if you'd like me to put you in touch with folks at home fields to get your school your ip licensed with the good
1: brand Please, please do that, because uh, especially if you're some of the D2, D3 schools, like you have awesome logos as is. I, I can't imagine going into the archive some of the stuff that the home field uh, could, could come up with. I mean, just look at uh, our, our good friends at the Colorado School of Mines. We interviewed right? the AD uh, there at uh, the Connect stage. I mean, they, they got some great stuff. Always have. I, I think, uh, you know, just uh, having that, that donkey around is uh Definitely uh, promoted the brand in ways that uh, are a bit unexpected and finding it in other areas. But there's are some great logos out there, and I think they would make perfect products on the home field. So uh, make sure you are emailing Matt uh, to, to get in touch with uh, the folks in uh, back in Indianapolis.
0: Mines is, is a great example because unless you were a gigantic college football hipster and were posting about Bob Stitt when those games are basically on like VHS at like 11 o'clock at night, or if you're like a mining engineer, you probably did not, are not aware of that school, but you are aware of the donkey holding a stake of dynamite if you are a college football Twitter user over the last year and a half. I'm also just going to look. I've basically posted my way into a career at this point. Might as well not stop now. I'll be honest with you. Um, The way that we're able to sustain this podcast is through sponsorships. The HomeField sponsorship is very important to us. One of the ways that we're able to, for all parties, make the sponsorship work is when we're able to say, hey, HomeField, we help to drive new licenses, new licensures to uh, your brand because we don't have – this is not the Paul Feinbaum show in terms of audience. Uh, I'm sorry to spoil that, right? So if you can't afford to buy a bunch of T-shirts or to drive other potential sponsors to this show or our newsletter, although that would be wonderful – Helping to get Fairfield or Hartford or Linfield or I don't know Pacific or some other random school as part of this ecosystem makes Homefield want to also give us more money, money that we then use to not just do things like pay for our hosting fees, but also so we could buy more t-shirts too. It's it's it is the circle of the economy.
1: Um, Very a much new- a revenue ne- neutral deal for for us, <laughs> given uh, the amount that we have plowed onto uh, the Homefield. Yeah. Tri-
0: if I if I was good at business I wouldn't be a professional newsletter writer I'd be doing business even though I, I guess this is a business clearly I'm not because I have an addiction and that is extremely comfortable t-shirts okay that i would read ran a little bit long if you're listening you, if you're listening this long I know what you actually want to talk about I know what what we, we have to dig into here it's been a couple of days Brian what the hell's going on with conference realignment right now what, 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 are, what are we hearing? What are we not hearing? How should we be deciphering what's been blowing around? Because I feel like the reality and the immediate conventional wisdom might not be completely aligned here.
1: Yeah, I think everybody wants to get out uh, ahead of the story at, the, at this point and say, you know, so-and-so is talking to so-and-so. And, like, uh, you, you had a great tweet uh, earlier this yeah. week about just in terms of, you know, who is actually making these moves, how these these big universities kind of uh, turn their ship and, and change conferences. Uh, a lot of time that, that circle is kept tight. As the UCLA and USC move have proven, as the Texas and Oklahoma move have proven, I mean, really go back to that, that Texas OU move. There's really like three people at at, at UT that uh, really knew what was going on and when, you know, there was there was a select few, basically the same number at Oklahoma. Pretty much the, the same exact same thing thing happening at USC, UCLA. I mean, I, I was shocked making a few phone calls, uh, you know, this, this this past week and and, and sending some texts. It's just the lack of communication between USC and UCLA until kind of the, the last kind of few weeks uh, kind of surprised me uh, in terms of going through this move. So actually, what is happening at the highest levels of these universities? Yes, your, your AD is going to be fairly involved, somewhat, um, maybe not uh, con- continuing to keep to keep the pulse of everything going on. Yes, your, your school president is, is going to be the arb- arbiter of, of where you're going and, and how these conversations take place. But, um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting this time around because they are involving so many schools. You know, I, I think everybody kind of is looking out at um, you know what, what's going to happen at the Big Twelve. How's the Pac-12 moving forward? They, the, that league just put out a statement saying they're they're moving forward with rights negotiations, even though they're they're entering their uh, kind of negotiation period already. They've already been talking with ESPN and Fox as part of their exclusive window. So. You know at, at the end of the day, you know who who's really kind of driving this next round of conference realignment. Uh, you 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 can put the, uh, the 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 pinpoint squarely in in South Bend, Indiana. That would be number one, and then number two is Fox and ESPN. You know the, those are going to be the ultimate arbiters of, of where we're kind of going for uh, these the, this next round. I guess you could say.
0: Let me let me talk about that tweet here for a second. I want I, I want to help our listeners be more. Better educated consumers, I think, of this kind of stuff. So I, I can tell you here, I, I'll, I will I I I think I've been nothing if not honest. I am not the most plugged-in person at some of these Big 12, Pac-12, and Big 10 universities. And by that, I mean, like, not just the ADs, but, like, people above them. Um, I have broken a bunch of conference realignment stories before, mostly at the G5, FCS, one aa level. Like, I can tell you from some of these about who actually knows – about changing leagues or everything, right? Your university president knows. Your athletic director knows at the end, but some of you may be surprised with how little they know throughout that process. Part of the reason athletic directors at that level talk to me is because sometimes, and I'm not saying this to brag, I'm saying this to like help people understand this world. Sometimes I knew more about what was happening in their league than they did. Um, 100 percent right and like and that's not matt brown is the ross dellinger of fcs football like that's not true that's just like i got lucky in some of these conversations so your president knows your ad sometimes knows like i can tell you about the big 10 and the pac-12 move there were big 10 athletic directors who learned about this like on tuesday like two days before i went final that were absolutely like not in the loop of these major conversations ahead of time like that's
1: only because they had a meeting together
0: yeah they found they found out then yeah so like that's that, that, that's a thing, right? Your senior associate athletic directors usually do not know. Um, I know that like when UIC was considering to going into the Missouri Valley Conference, like three or four people uh, on campus knew. Generally, at lower levels, the cir- that, that circle is larger than it is at higher levels because the amount of money is different. And also you have smaller staffs, so more people need to know to operationalize everything, but it is not known to everybody. Generally speaking, Coaches don't know shit about shit, and they will tell reporter stuff. Assistant coaches will lie about anything if they think it will help them with recruiting because that's what they're paid for, and they will leak stuff to message boards, and they'll talk to our local radio, and they don't know anything. And the higher level you go up, the less that they know. So like, if you are somebody that mostly talks to assistant coaches about like prospects and everything, you do not know the Big Ten's target list right now. Somebody is telling you about the Big Ten target list, but that person does not know. Like that pool does not know anything. The commissioner of the conference knows and a very select uh, member of members of senior staff, but not everybody. The comms guy at, your, at the conference that you're calling up does not know um, uh, or just like the press secretary doesn't actually know what Joe Biden is doing right now. Like that's not their job uh, or various other people. Outside of that, in my experience, people that the people that know are major media partners which at the FCS level is a different conversation. So the high-level executives at Fox or ESPN do have insights. There are a network of consulting companies that help with this process, either to help ESPN, Fox, or the schools determine media like uh, what, what, what the rights revenue would look like or, view, or, or viewership would look like. There are also consulting companies at smaller levels that help shepherd schools through this process, that do feasibility studies, that the book introductions, that help people figure out what – kind of scholarships or what kind of fundraising they need to do. There's not a lot of those companies. There's like six. They often know. Some of your absolute biggest vendors might know. So people at Nike, sometimes people in the MMR world, they might know about a couple of these things. That's it. Um, so we're, we're talking, even if it's like a, mid, a mid-major thing, and, and maybe, maybe, depending on the school, you might rope in one or two of your biggest donors. And if you're a much smaller school and you need to raise a bunch of money to make this happen, you might tell 10 donors and you give them half of the information. That's it. So you have to ask yourself then if local radio or, or, what, or anybody is pushing stories about this. Ask yourself, do they know one of these 12 people? And I'm not saying this to be a jerk or to say that we're so important or, or, or anything. Chances are they don't because we talk to those people because <laughs> that's cause that's our whole beat. We work for an industry publication. Like we're the ones talking to the, the licensure and the sponsorships and the legal people about other stuff. And even we don't know everything that's going on. So the people that spend their time in press conferences talking about Cover 4, usually they don't just because there's just not that many of those people and they're not used to having these kind of conversations. You know what I mean?
1: Absolutely. Well, you mentioned the, the booster part in, in particular. I mean, uh, when it comes to a lot of those boosters slash donors, uh, if, if they're in really powerful positions, they're on the board of regents or whatever your university governing system will be. And so that that might be when they really get roped in uh, to a lot of those conversations. Sometimes they are the ones driving it, as we saw with Texas. Other times they're, they're not, you know, and they're, and they're kind of late to the process, depending on kind of where they are in the, the board hierarchy. I, I would say late in the process, too, the, the university's general counsel gets pretty heavily involved in, in a lot of these things, given the amount of dollars, given the amount of contracts. They have to go over just to kind of change conferences. Um, that's obviously top of mind for some that uh, will have to pay an exit fee and, and go through some of the penalty structures yeah. uh, that, that a lot of these leagues have to you know, kind of kind of get looped into. So it, you're you're right, but you're right. I, I mean, there's there's a definite hierarchy of, of how these conversations happen and. I, I will say that uh, there are a lot of people in this industry that, that do have law degrees or have you know been through this process enough times that uh, they understand when it you know when you actually reach out to the other conference and who is reaching out and when that is happening it matters a lot uh, contractually and in terms of uh, what you might end up paying so they are everybody's very aware of, of how that uh, slow delicate dance is going to happen and I think that is key in in, in in a lot of respects when it comes to Things like you're reaching out to the Big Ten. Now, at the same time, it's like, oh, you mean you reached out to the Big Ten one day and then you, you had a vote the next day and then you were in the conference the, the day after? Like, how, how does that process work? Yes, that is technically how, how, how it happens. But uh, there's always, always those informal conversations, which is how a lot of this stuff ends up uh, leaking. But uh, you're right. Uh, the, the coaches are, are certainly the last to know. Uh, especially the Olympic sport coaches, I can tell you, they are almost always going to find out through the same media reports. Even if there might be a, a staff meeting or whatnot oh, scheduled, yeah. they, are, yeah. they are typically the very, 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 very last uh, ones to know. But uh, you're right, and the the football coaches that that might have an inkling of something that that's generally because they are very close to a, a significant booster who is also on the board of regents or tied in with with the school or the AD or the president in particular. That's
0: that's what it is. It's it's and and not not every school ends up doing. That. So, I, I say all of this to say be cautious um, about uh, what you are reading and, and, and be cautious because so and so is talking to so and so is never as straightforward as it is in real life during these conversations. Reaching out to the Big Ten might mean calling Kevin Warren, it might mean calling somebody at Fox. It might mean calling the biggest donor at Wisconsin to kind of launder something to somebody. It might mean laundering it through the media. It might mean going to Wasserman. I don't know. It could mean a bunch of different stuff. And practically, the difference might be negligible. But in practice, it could be very significant. I say all this to say here that, that as uh, we're on Tuesday afternoon, the one thing I will say is the best knowledge I have – is that rumors that the Pac-12 is dead and they merger with the Big Twelve are is imminent in some capacity are overstated? Could that happen? Yeah, I mean, shit, almost anything can happen at this point. Like all of my baseline assumptions are being are being kind of revisited a little bit. Um, is it at far enough advanced that that I think it is accurate to say like this is this is a very done deal or are very no, I don't I don't think that that's I don't believe that that's true based on what we have been what I have been hearing you have been hearing other things you talk to different people than I do but I, I would I would I would say conferences are real hard to kill and the conventional wisdom that one league as of right this very second is in an enormously stronger position than the other league are overstated and how this ultimately ends is very much in the air would would you agree
1: yeah, I, I would agree completely. I know I think everybody's looking at the, the Big 12 and saying this, they're, they're negotiating from a position of strength. And, and I would pump the brakes on that a little bit just in terms of the, the, the timing of, of things. You know, the Pac-12 is going to market before the Big 12. That That is, that is certain. And it is in Fox and ESPN's best interest for... The Big Twelve to be the one that ends up breaking up first, and and reverse merging into the Pac Twelve, or, or any sort number of of scenarios that you can kind of throw out there. You know, they they would be uh, saving quite a few, you know, nine figure checks uh, where they wouldn't have to cut it to the Big Twelve. They, from ESPN's pr- perspective, yes, they would get uh, marquee properties like OU and Texas maybe a little bit earlier than than twenty twenty five and. Uh, You know, in in terms of the Big Tens, uh, you know, they're not only taking a a big chunk or or Fox's rights of the the Big Ten, not only taking a big chunk of that, um, you know, but uh, they're also kind of selling that out. So now they can understand a little bit in terms of the the secondary and third packages that they would have to sell from that, uh, figuring that out and figuring the timing of that when they would be able to talk with an M- NBC or, or a CBS to uh, to air some of those uh, secondary and, and third uh, tertiary type of type of games uh, that, that matters a lot to them and so I think you're you're uh, juggling a lot of balls but I, I think at the end of the day uh, a lot of this is just going to rest honestly down to the conversation that is, is going to happen in, in South Bend and whether Notre Dame what they want to do because that's going to affect pretty much every other league out there it's fact, the ACC, certainly in terms of what they're doing with their other sports, they're contractually obligated in certain respects to, to join the ACC. That's a, a little fuzzy that they could certainly end up leaving the league, yeah. uh, going to the Big Ten. So really, it, it is all kind of coming down to what the Irish are going to do. That's going to impact the Pac-12 and whether maybe Oregon and Washington start flirtations with with other leagues. What what ends up happening with the Arizona schools in Utah and Colorado? Whether whether are Big Twelve, as, as much as they we hear about them wanting to be aggressive, um, they, they certainly can try. But at the end of the day, uh, they're they're still at, at a bit of a disadvantage. And you know, keep in mind too, like the the Pac-12 you know, has been around for a long time, and and those ties, although they have been shaken uh, by this news of, of USC and UCLA leaving. Those, those ties go back a long ways. You know, the, the Arizona schools have been playing Stanford and Cal and Washington State and Oregon and, and all these for a very, very, very long time. And so I think there is uh, certainly a close-knit uh, community out West. You know, it's just uh, – it, it is a bit different from kind of this hodgepodge that really always has been the Big 12. You know, very, which is-
0: very different. One was made for TV. One has been mostly going on in some capacity since the 1920s. Like, if you go back to the Pacific Coast Conference – but you know, before the, 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 the modern Big 12, um, I think to kind of put a bow on this here, I think there are the best. Well, as best as I know right now, there are three conversation like major conversations happening. The big one, which you just alluded to, is what does Notre Dame decide to do? As I understand it, the um, financial hit from extra- extracting themselves from the ACC is maybe not as prohibitive as previously thought. But Notre Dame's leadership from Swarbuck above is not about maximizing their revenue. It is only about ma- making sure they have championship access. If they feel they can still do that as an independent, they're going to want to do that. I don't know, and I don't know if, how, if they've decided if the news recently has completely changed that paradigm. I don't know exactly what the timetable is for that decision. That is the fulcrum that decides what the Big Ten wants to do. Your secondary conversation is the conversations in some capacity between the Pac-12 and the Big 12. And when I say that, I mean they're member institutions about whether you merge, whether you take some from each other. Does that make sense? What what happens with your media rights? That is much less clear right now, I think, than maybe you might believe. The third conversation to kind of really get into the weeds here, related but not exclusive to that conversation is – The Pac-12 potentially deciding to go after Gonzaga or to potentially go after uh, other West Coast institutions for basketball or or other purposes here. I have heard this from the WCC. I've heard this from the Western Mid-Major World as something that is on their radar as they decide to... As, as the WCC looks at BYU replacements, as the WAC and Southland and Big Sky kind of fumble around there, I would say this is a, a storyline to watch. I'm not saying that's imminent. I'm not saying that everyone's ready to pull the trigger on that now. They're watching the same stuff everybody else is. But if you're looking for a development that would uh, where it would make sense for the Pac-12 to definitely change the paradigm of, of how they've thought about expansion and membership versus the last 12 years, brother, this is it. And that is something to kind of keep an eye on. I don't know the timelines for, for these things yet. Could move very quickly. Could linger into football season. But those are the, the, the big questions. And so when someone asks like, hey, what does this mean for the Southland? What does this mean for the WAC or the Missouri Valley or blah, blah, blah? We got to get more clarity up top because this stuff rolls downhill. And we don't know. We, I don't think anybody would have predicted that Texas and Oklahoma leaving would have ultimately lead, led to conference changes in the in the New England area. It did at least at the FCS level. And depending on who moves around in the power five, you can see more of those changes there too. That's, that's, the, that's the best intel I got as of this afternoon.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is not a process that is going to be you know wrapped up by next week or by conference media days. Like, you know, it, it takes it takes a lot for, for a lot of these these universities to to, to move leagues. And, um, you know, I mean, you go back to years ago when the when the Big 12 kind of went through the first expansion, you know, pal- realignment palooza. And, and they were talking very openly with you know schools like Houston and, and others. And they were like inviting pitches. I mean, that was that was like six weeks of, of drama. And uh, we're, we're going to get. Basically, this kind of same thing playing out, probably less publicly this time around, but uh, it is still going to be in the backdrop of pretty much every conversation. Maybe it's something that uh, does end up getting decided uh, a little bit quicker than most, just given when the, the TV contracts are up. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, this is something that uh, will we'll play out in the background as we approach the season. As we actually turn towards the the field and, and the on-field product on, on the football level in particular, um, as conference media days get going, we, we have a new Big 12 commissioner that is uh, taking over uh, on August 1st, I believe. So uh, there, there, there's a lot happening and, and set against the backdrop of all this. And, and you kind of alluded to it a little bit um, when, when talking about Notre Dame. There is a big discussion about the Irish and their place in the hierarchy when the ACC was, you know, talking about college football playoff expansion. Well, guess yeah. what's going to happen, um, starting in a couple of months as well. That that process by those those presidents, uh, heavily involved by the commissioners that are running the college football playoff, that 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 attention being turned towards uh, what the sport ultimately looks like in terms of that 2026 postseason. It is is going to be set? You know, against the backdrop of all of this, it's not just uh, you know conference media deals coming up, but also ultimately, what is that uh, end goal for college football playoff? Because it's it's a blank slate. We we could have the Big Ten just simply saying, "Hey, our champion's going to play the SEC champion," and yeah, uh, everybody else can do whatever they want. Like that that is an option on the table that has been discussed. Yep. Uh, between people in, in various leagues, and including the Big Ten and the SEC, I, I can say that with pretty much certainty. Now, whether that ultimately ends up becoming true and whether that ultimately ends up playing out, who knows. But that is an option that is on the table. And so that would obviously force uh, somebody like Notre Dame to, to join a conference.
0: The Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It is worth noting, not to be alarmist, but the assumption that the current college football playoff, if it doesn't expand, will continue in its current format is not a guarantee. Will there be some kind of college football playoff? Yeah, probably. People like making money. But at that, especially over the last week, what format that looks like is much more an open question than maybe it was three weeks ago. We could probably do another hour on this, and by the time we were done recording, the news would have changed again already, well, at least from some reputable reports. We so should probably put a bow on this now. We will continue to work to advance this, this story the best that we can uh, over the next coming days. I mean, I want to try to break it, but, like, I mean— I'm not Nicole Auerbach. I'm not. I, 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 I probably won't. Um, I like my chances about breaking the next, I don't know, the next a, uh, A-Sun realignment. I, mean, I can't even promise that, but I, I like my chances better than I do here. But I do think that we'll be able, whether it's on this podcast or Extra Points, to be able to continue to advance this in a meaningful way because there's lots of nooks and crannies to kind of fall down with this storyline. Uh, if, if you haven't signed up already to Collegiate Sports Connect— Definitely should do that. It's totally free. You can see all the hard work that Brian and the rest of our team did at NACTA, and actually get from the horse's mouth a lot of those conversations. I'm still trying to extract stuff and share those with everybody. We're gonna—I'll link out to the um, the the CLC interview in the show notes, uh, since I know people are gonna be interested in that. And of course, you can follow, subscribe to Extra Points. We're doing a slightly different summer schedule, part of it so I can have time to do more reporting. Part of it is so I don't have a nervous breakdown and die i don't want to be over uh over dramatic but i need a break <laughs> we all need a little bit of a break so we're shifting to four days a week for extra points we're going to do going for two once a week there might be some bonus content uh you know if oregon joins the acc will and it's on a thursday we'll do another episode i know we have some other things going on but uh if you're if your feed's running a little bit lower it's not you it's us um, but we hope that you enjoyed the shows anyway. Hopefully that we can, we can put a little bit more structure behind the ones that we're doing, which you can find on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Did I get everything?
1: I think that's it. And uh, if you do want to make sure you sign up for uh, not only for, for extra points, but uh, the D1 ticker as well, that's the where the latest uh, realignment gossip and, and news stories, uh, yep. what, what the industry is saying about uh, the developments, uh, not just in the Big Ten or uh, the, the Pac-12 and, and, and Big 12, but uh, across the industry at a time where there is a whole heck of a lot going on. I, I mean, I, I continue to say it. The, the amount of change that has happened in the past two years and going forward in the next two, three years, I mean, this is as as turbulent a time in college athletics that is really has ever seen um uh, dating back to the, probably that 1984 court case uh where the Supreme court uh, opened up the tv rights for everybody which led us to this moment so it, it all comes full circle it all uh, it all has a through line back to somewhere and uh, i think the the latest places where you can catch up on, on all that uh, on a daily basis is, is certainly d1 ticker and in addition to uh giving us five stars here on, on this year podcast
0: absolutely right friends thanks for listening thanks for tuning in we have some other Exciting stuff coming soon. See y'all on the internet soon.